0: showtime sports presents showtime boxing with eric raskin and kieran mulvaney hello and welcome to another edition of showtime boxing with raskin and mulvaney with my co-host eric raskin i am kieran mulvaney and folks you will have noticed that for the second week in a row you're starting your week with two of our podcasts because uh every sunday night Uh, After an episode of The King, Showtime's 2 documentary series is over, we drop a a, a short little podcast that looks at that episode, interviews a guest, uh, generally a guest who's appeared on the show. And one of the things we do with that show is, because it's it's shorter than our usual one, we eschew our usual hilarious opening banter (laughs) and just get straight into the topic at hand. And Eric, I don't know about you, but I think... That's been working pretty well so far through those first couple of, like, many podcasts. And I'm all about us, just doing that with these main podcasts every Monday morning. No banter, no talking back and forth, no no just spending time dwelling on unnecessary things or this or on
1: that. But just getting straight to the meat of the matter, Eric. How about yourself? Yeah, not a single wasted word. There's definitely something to be said for, for not bantering, for, for getting right into it. Like, do people really want to hear us riffing about a topic that might or might not be boxing-related, or do they view that as a, a waste of a couple of minutes? Although, if you're listening at 2x speed, it's really only wasting one minute of the <laughs> listener's time for every two minutes we waste. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think maybe this week we should just get right into it. No banter right. at all. Make make this a banter-free zone. No, no empty calories. Right. Just all Absolutely. business, right from the jump. I mean, I could right now,
0: because I record this... Uh, podcast either in my office or my living room, which are on the same side of my house or the front of my house. Mm-hmm. I could spend a lot of time talking about the fact that we're recording this on, on Sunday morning. It's a beautiful day here in Vermont. I could very easily be describing... Um, my neighbor who I regularly see go out of a morning with their dog, uh, going for a nice walk. And of course it's it's one of those dogs that's really a strong, powerful dog, but it's really well behaved with their owners, but they can't let it out by itself if they've already let their chickens out, because that all leads to all kinds of like tragedy. And the dog's already taken a couple of chickens. And the last time one of their chickens died, the first clue they had was all the other chickens were getting around it and like pecking at it because that's apparently what chickens do they don't care about (laughs) their comrade dying in battle they're just like looking for protein i could go on about that you could i'm not going to
1: yeah you could i'm not going but you won't that's right and and i do wonder you know are there people who dig the banter who'll be disappointed by us doing no banter at all this week none not a word of banter maybe well maybe but but that's guys i'm sorry Right. Uh,
0: it is what it is. We've got to, you know, we're on a mission, man. We are. We're on a
1: mission. We, we are. We're we going to get there. If, if we lose a few listeners who love the banter, that's a risk we're willing to take as we so deliver good. this banter-free opening. So focused, so, so streamlined. Look at us go. On it. I feel, I feel like alive, man. <laughs> I feel alive. For the first time and
0: in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> In a very long time. Let's see how long it lasts. Hopefully to the end of the podcast. (laughs) Um, uh, And boy, this week on the podcast, you can understand why we're getting straight to it with no banter. um, Because we're going to preview some fights. Uh, And then when we've previewed some fights, we're going to preview some more fights. And when we're done with that, we're going to preview some more fights. Uh, Yeah, Saturday, June 19th is a busy day on the boxing calendar. So we have quite a lot to look forward to with a particular focus on the Showtime triple header. Uh, And we'll be joined by our pal Stephen Breadman Edwards to get his thoughts on those fights. as well as some of the big matchups awaiting later in the summer. Uh, We'll have some news to discuss. Uh, We'll have a tweet of the week. I'll assign Eric his next top five list. And another reason why we just honestly can't delay any further. We've just got to get to it. Uh, We have a new segment called The Money Punch. And, uh, well, you'll just have to stay tuned to find out what that's all about. Uh, But uh, as a reminder, no banter. No banter at all. We're getting straight to it. So let's start with an in-depth breakdown of the three live
1: bouts that are airing on Showtime Championship Boxing this Saturday night. This card comes to us from the Toyota Center in Houston, and the headliner is a local attraction, middleweight title holder Jamal Charlo, undefeated with 31 wins in 31 fights, 22 knockouts. He's fighting on Showtime for the 12th time, and he comes in as a big favorite over challenger Juan Macias Montiel, who has 22 wins, all by knockout, along with four losses and two draws. Charlo's coming off probably the best win of his career, a tough close, but well-deserved decision over Sergei Derevyanchenko. And the same is true of Montiel, who in his most recent outing stopped what was left of once-dangerous James Kirkland in a single round last December, scoring three knockdowns in less than two minutes. The other notable fight on Montiel's record didn't go as well, however, as he got flattened by Jaime Munguia in violent fashion in the second round in 2017. Uh, Montiel is the nephew of Fernando Montiel. As his record shows, he's a puncher, and he's a switch hitter. Uh, As we've acknowledged and even discussed with Steven Espinoza, on paper, this is the least competitive main event on the Showtime schedule. So what are you looking to see from Charlo here, Kieran? If the fight hits the midway point without Jamal having scored a spectacular stoppage yet, is that a failure for him? Uh, And having watched the same brief Montiel fights on YouTube that I have, is the win over Kirkland as good as it appears on paper, and is the loss to Mungia as bad as it appears on paper?
0: So, this win over Kirkland was really down to Kirkland being just horrendously
1: yeah. shot. Yeah.
0: Um, even before his shotness, Kirkland was always a destroy or be destroyed very early kind of guy. Yeah. Um, and he was always vulnerable early. Sheeta knocked him out in the first. Angulo and Conyers knocked him down in the first before being stopped themselves. Canelo knocked him out brutally in three. Um, the first punch in that fight that put Kirkland down, I wasn't one taking it, but it looked like a short, nicely placed, but unremarkable counter left hook. Um, and Kirkland never really recovered from that. The good thing I will say about Montiel in that fight is that uh, he was very calm. He took his time going about his business, which sounds funny because the whole thing was over in less than two minutes, <laughs> right. but I mean that he didn't he didn't get overexcited. He didn't run straight in. He even had time to pretend to throw a bolo punch. Um, he, he didn't smother his own work. He stood off him and he picked his shots, um, which you can do when you have a sack of potatoes in front of you. But still, he, he merits some credit, I think, for that. The Lost Among you was not great. Um, the KO punch itself was one of those terrific right hands that can catch a person, but... In the little less than two rounds that elapsed before that, I, I thought he looked poor. He made Munguia, who back in 2017 when this fight happened, was mostly just a wrecking ball. Um, he made him look like the smarter boxer as well as the heavier hitter. He just looked poor. Um, he did claim later Montiel that he had not trained properly for that fight, uh, but you know what? That's on him if true. Um, I'm sorry, like you're a boxer, that's your job. <laughs> um, I don't think he's a terrible fighter necessarily. Um, He does have a draw with Hugo Centeno, who is also not terrible. Um, But Centeno perhaps reasonably felt aggrieved that he hadn't gotten that win. And by way of comparison, Jamal Charlo blew out Centeno in a couple of rounds. Um, And I think that shows the gulf in talent and ability here. Uh, Montiel's an aggressive puncher. He'll probably look to make the fight. Uh, But that should enable Charlo, I think, to show what he has should make this a fairly attractive fight while it lasts. But yeah, Charlo needs to win this, I think really, and, and win it within the distance. This, this is a little bit of a layup for him. I think, um, the knockout itself doesn't need to be spectacular, but I think Charlo needs to look pretty dominant here and he's going to want to put him away. And I think, Particularly, as the last time he was in front of his hometown crowd, he was taken twelve right. by the admittedly tough Brandon Adams in a fight that he dominated, he was like it was like a one twenty one oh eight uh, of uh, score almost uh, completely across the scorecard. But because Adams saw that final bell, uh, I think Charlotte came away feeling a little disappointed, and the pressure may be on him a little bit here being back in front of Houston, he'll want a good display here and This is an opportunity for him to do that, I think. Yeah. Uh, The 10-round co-feature is a fight we talked about briefly when it was signed. It's a prospect versus veteran Crossroads fight. Uh, We noted back then that it has the potential to be an absolute scorcher provided the veteran has something left in the tank uh the prospect is isok pitbull cruise 21 one and one 15 ko's just 23 years of age and emerging really quite suddenly i'd say over the last year as a potential force in the lightweight division um he meets former 130 pound belt holder francisco vargas 27 2 and 2 19 ko's 13 years older than Cruz at 36, both fighters hailing from Mexico City. Uh, Vargas, briefly, might have held the title of world's most exciting fighter. He was in back-to-back fights of the year in 2015 and 2016, winning a war over Takashi Miura, for which we were seated next to each other at ringside, and then battling Orlando Salido to a draw uh, the following year. But those wars started to catch up with him. Uh, Vargas lost twice to Miguel Burchelt. And here's a couple of CompuBox stats for you. Uh, Vargas opponents average 24 landed punches per round against him, the most among active fighters, and 20.6 power punches per round, also the most among mm. active fighters. That's not good. Um, do you think, Eric, that this is a fight where well, we'll know early, perhaps it's by the end of the first round, uh, whether Vargas has a chance, And what's the entertainment potential here if Vargas can compete? Are we looking at a possible third fight of the year on his resume here? Uh,
1: On the first question, yeah, it might not be a fight where we know the outcome for sure after one round, but I think we should have a pretty good idea of whether Vargas is going to be in this thing. Um, Now, it could be a Diego Magdaleno situation where he doesn't even get out of the first round, but barring that, I think it's critical that... Vargas show some of his skills, control the distance a little, use his legs, not get roughed up and busted up, really buck those CompuBox trends that you cited. Because yeah. if he's getting hit with twenty power punches around from Cruz, he's unlikely to last long. Yeah. Uh, the reality is. I think Vargas wants it not to look much like a fight of the year. Um Jose yeah. Jose Matias Romero had success against Cruz by jabbing a lot, being somewhat defensive, clinching a lot, making it ugly. That's not really Francisco Vargas's MO, but he yeah. does have some skills when he chooses to use them. He he just he has to be extremely disciplined in this fight. And also, along the way land some big shots to keep Cruz honest uh, if if he's going to win. If this is going to be a fight of the year contender, I think it's probably in the form of a brief wild war, uh, a, mm. a Hagler-Hearns or a Zepeda-Barancic, just two guys slugging it out until somebody, probably Vargas, uh, crumbles mm. in, in six rounds or fewer. Um, but I, I'm looking forward to this one. It should be fun if Francisco Vargas's skin or chin don't quickly betray him. Yeah. Um, and opening the show, also a 10-rounder, in the loaded 122-pound division, two good young fighters trying to bounce back from their first career losses. Somebody's one has got to go. Uh, <laughs> it's Angelo Leo, 20-1, and one, nine KOs, coming off a competitive but lopsided decision defeat to the outstanding Stephen Fulton, meeting Aaron Alameda, who's 25-1 with 13 knockouts, last seen going the distance unsuccessfully in something of a chess match against Luis Neri. Alameda, though naturally right-handed, fights out of a southpaw stance. That shouldn't be a big problem for Leo, as he's faced southpaws in four of his last eight fights. Uh, Both of these guys are 27 years old, entering their primes. I love this fight in that it feels like a pivot point for both men in terms of the direction of the rest of their careers. Win this one, and you're a contender. Lose it, and you're something of an also-ran. And it shapes Mm. up as a clash of styles. Um, So, Kieran... Give your thoughts on those styles and what each fighter will be looking to do here. And then let's transition into the predictions. Uh, you're up 32 to 31 in our picks competition. So wrap this up by giving me your pick on this fight.
0: Yeah, sure. Look, it, it is like you mentioned. It's it's an interesting style matchup. I think we know reasonably well what to expect from Leo. Uh, he's going to look to set the pace, set the distance, Um, of the fight from the very beginning, um, or at least as early as he can. He's going to look to come forward. He's going to want to put on pressure. And more than anything, he's going to look to just launch an unrelenting body attack. Um, You know, Alameda, somewhat like Leo, is a high output boxer, but that's sort of where the similarities end. Um, He is much more of a boxer. He's going to want to work off of his jab much more than Leo. Um, He's going to try to attempt to keep Leo at range. The problem with that is that Leo actually has a longer reach than him, and so that's really tough when you're the guy who's the boxer who wants to keep the the marauding brawler at distance and, and the marauding brawler has longer arms than you. That does make for potentially a pretty difficult uh, night for Alameda. Um, I actually wouldn't be surprised. If Alameda starts reasonably well, so did Tremaine Williams against uh, Leo, let's not right. forget. And he might actually be up on points after a f- couple of rounds, you know, three rounds or so. I could see him maybe initially, maybe able to keep Leo a little bit off balance, a little bit, a little bit at distance um, as Leo sort of starts to get on track. Um but Leo's going to keep coming and he's going to keep coming. And the fact that Alameda's is probably going to try to throw a lot of punches to keep him at distance. It's going to open up space for Leo. Uh, Leo's gradually going to start reeling him in by around five or six. It'll be even by about round nine. Alameda may well be really feeling the impacts. And I think we'll be seeing his punch output st- dropping quite considerably. Um, I think this probably does go the distance. Um, I think Leia will feel the clear winner and be the clear winner, but maybe because of some of those early rounds from Alameda, and maybe Alameda, you know, who does have good stamina, will will pull one or two out later on. I think that that means the scorecards, while accurate, will feel closer than the feel of the fight, if you know what I mean. And I think we're probably looking at about like a 96-94 kind of scoreline over 10 rounds. It's going to be that kind of thing that because I think Leo will have taken a lot of those latter rounds. It'll feel like it should have been more, but actually that's going to be a fairly accurate reflection, but it will be a unanimous decision win for Angelo Leo.
1: All right. So that's interesting. We have the same pick as far as our picks competition goes, but our views on what the scores are going to look like are kind of opposite. Um, Mm. I I was impressed by Alameda, the way he fought against Neri. It wasn't very exciting, but he showed skills and toughness. The one thing he very clearly lacked was power. Um, he landed a handful of perfectly clean shots and Neri walked right through them. And that's the main reason that I pick Leo here. Not that he's a big puncher either, but I think he hits harder than Alameda. And I just think it's important for any opponent to hit hard enough to discourage Leo if they're going to have a chance of beating him. And I'm not sure Alameda can do that. I think this is a, a good competitive fight, but Leo can do more. I think he'll be making the fight more. And, his sort of aggressive approach will help him win close rounds with the judges. So this feels to me like a distance fight where Leo really has to work. And it's a good, hard close fight, but the judges are giving him most of the credit. And I think he'll win yeah. like eight to two or nine to one, even though the fight feels closer than that. So we sort of yeah, went in opposite directions <laughs> there, but uh, ultimately no swing between uh, the points we could accrue. Yeah. Uh, Moving on to my Cruz Vargas pick, I look at Vargas, and yeah, he's won two straight since the second Burchelt loss, but he's gotten right against some pretty unworthy opponents, and I just don't see him following the Jose Matias Romero blueprint and making this ugly. I think Cruz is all wrong for him. Uh, he, He bullies his way inside, and Vargas... Just can't get the range to land his punches. It's not a one-round fight like uh, Cruz Magdaleno, but it's not a long one either. Remember Sean Porter versus Pauly Malignaggi? Uh, that, Mm. That one lasted four rounds. I'll say the same thing here. Cruz, TKO, four. Um...
0: I'm curious a little bit about how this is going to turn out um, because, you know, Cruz looks so sensational against Magdaleno. And then as you said, less than sensational against Romero, but the key point is what you've already talked about, that Romero is just a very, very different kind of opponent uh, to Vargas. Um, Vargas has sort of tried to moderate his approach somewhat in recent fights because he's had that tendency to cut and because he's, you know, fully aware of the kind of damage that he's accumulated. But you know, even you know he'll make it through two of his last three outings without any marks, and then then he'll have a third where there's a head clash, and there's blood gushing everywhere, and the whole thing is stopped. So, um, I feel like in some ways Vargas is is the better, more rounded fighter, but you know, and I think he's clearly fought the far higher caliber of opponent. But styles make fights, and also. the right timing makes fights and even if he's tried to tone down his attack a little he's still almost certain Vargas to start opening up and turning this into a firefight as Cruz keeps coming forward um The problem with Vargas isn't just that he's at risk of cuts. It's that defense that you talked about earlier. If your opponents are on average landing 24 punches around, and if they're landing 20 power punches around, and you've got a guy like Cruz, that's just not good. Um, I I can see a situation where maybe in those first couple of rounds, Vargas is able to keep him a little bit at range. It starts getting closer and closer. Vargas maybe has his moments in there um and maybe even wobbles cruise a little bit as he's coming forward but at the end of the day i just i love francisco vargas but there are a lot of miles on his odometer and i think probably that the odometer is going to click over a little bit more in around round six Okay. That's when I think Cruz is going to score the stoppage there. Uh, so, that brings us to the main event, which on paper, uh, as you mentioned previously, uh, the weakest of the main events during a very strong Showtime summer run. And I think it's the most one-sided fight on this card. Um, as I mentioned earlier, is going to be disappointed if this fight goes too far. Um, you should make the note that the Munguia fight was both Montiel's only stoppage, and indeed, the only time he's been down. um By the same token, like he is the only opponent close to an actual world caliber fighter that he's faced. um And you could argue that he's the closest in terms of style, size, and strength to Charlo. Uh, Charlo should just simply be far too many levels ahead of Montiel here. And not only that, but I don't think Montiel has the style or the defensive nous to really sort of limit or avoid the kind of punishment that Charlo is going to want to meet out doesn't work much behind the jab he isn't that active um and perhaps more importantly on average opponents land 43 percent of their power punches against him um this all should be meat and drink to charlo i I just think it's a question of how long he takes charlo is not often a go in there and blow somebody away inside a round kind of a guy Uh, i still see him softening up with the jab and slowly cranking it up but i do think he gets him out of there
1: in round six I've never heard a fight compared to meat and drink before. I I love your little uh, British sayings that I've never heard at any point in my life. That's a good. That's a that's a brand new one to me. Meat and drink. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, yeah, you know, I I asked you earlier about those two quick fights on Montiel's record, and uh, I I agreed with one of your opinions, not not totally in agreement on the other. Um, I totally agree that the Kirkland win didn't mean much or or, or prove much, Um, but. I thought the Munguia loss wasn't quite as bad as it sounds on paper that he was doing okay in that fight uh and then he got caught and and that was that. It was notable though that he was very easy to find. Um and and he's he's not super athletic, not much upper body movement, he's physically a bit stiff and that all adds up to a disaster against Jamal Charlo. Um so you you had a KO 6 for both of the the last two fights, is that right? You are correct, sir. Okay, uh, so um, if I'm right about Cruz Vargas, which I had as KO4 and this fight, we could get to bed nice and early, Kieran. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, assuming we're willing to watch uh, all the other various fight cards uh, on DVR Sunday morning. We're just watching (laughs) Showtime. We can get to bed nice and early because I'm actually uh, I'll cut your six in half. I'm saying Charlo in three. That that would work for me.
0: I would be okay with (laughs)
1: surrendering some points there.
0: So no offense, Mr. Montiel, but there you go. Um, As noted at the top of the show, uh, and as you just alluded to, Saturday is is a busy night in the boxing world. Four other televised cards happening. Uh, The most notable is in Miami. It's a thriller pay-per-view. They pay big money at purse bid for Teofimo Lopez's mandatory lightweight title defense against George Kambosis Jr. Uh, Also on the card, a women's super middleweight title fight between French and Cruz Duzun and Aline Sideros, and a heavyweight bout between Michael Hunter and Mike Wilson. Uh, but let me just get your thoughts on the main event. Um, Lopez, clearly one of the brightest rising stars in boxing. Um, he's already a pound-for-pounder off that upset win of Vasily Lomachenko. Does Combosis have any chance here of knocking him off course?
1: I highly doubt it. Um, we know Teofimo is among the elite fighters in the sport. He can box, he can punch. He has the kind of talent that when he wins 10 rounds to two against Masayoshi Nakatani, we're disappointed and and we ask yeah. what the hell was wrong with Teo. Cambosos, he's a fringe contender. He, he won a close one over Lee Selby, before that a split decision over a 36 year old Mickey Bay. I just don't think he's anywhere near Lopez's level and he has no experience fighting at this level either. Um, Jim Lampley is coming back to call one of the best young fighters around But he's Mm -hmm. not calling a particularly good fight, in my view. Um, I have to say, if if I'm purchasing this, it's more to hear Lampley and to see how he fits into a thriller production than it is for the fights. Yeah. Um, there's an ESPN card Saturday, headlined by someone even higher than Lopez on most pound-for-pound lists, as bantamweight force Naya the Monster Inoue takes on Michael Hot and Spicy das Marinas of the Philippines, uh, plus Michaela Mayer meets Erica Farinas, and the card includes an interesting featherweight fight between Isaac Dogbe and Adam Lopez. Kieran, have you heard of Michael Hot and Spicy das Marinas before this very moment? Are you into hot and spicy foods? And in honor of what hot and spicy foods do to my stomach, how quickly do you expect Inoue to go through Das Marinas? I had not. I am. And swiftly.
0: (laughs) Okay, good answers. (laughs) Um, Look, Das Marinas, from what I've seen of him, can hit. Uh, He has real power, you know, behind his uh, southpaw left hand. In no way you'll be wary of that, but... He seems to be a fairly squared-up boxer at times. He holds his hands a smidgen lower than you'd want for someone who's facing the monster. He hasn't faced anyone like the monster. Uh, it's hard for me to see in no way being overly troubled here. Yeah. Um, two other cards still to mention. Still they come on zone from El Paso, Texas. Jaime Munguia, who we've already talked about, does finally indeed have a replacement opponent for Maciej Sulecki. It's quite a good one, actually. It's Camille Saramata. Uh, last seen losing to Gennady Golovkin. In the co-feature on that card, Bektemir Bekbully Melokusiev takes on the just evergreen Gabe Rosado, it seems. <laughs> uh, and here we pause. And one of these things, folks, is not like the other. Um, on an integrated sports pay-per-view from guadalajara mexico because god help us boxing is just getting worse and worse it's a six-round exhibition between julio cesar chavez senior and hector camacho junior An eight-round non-exhibition between julio cesar chavez junior and anderson silver which we did promise each other we wouldn't mention again on this podcast <laughs> but here we are. Uh Eric, anything you want to comment on between those two
1: cards? We're nothing if not promise breakers. I had forgotten that <laughs> we had promised that. You're you're right. Oh well. Um I hope Chavez Senior and Camacho Junior make a little money for themselves and or yeah. raise a little money for worthy charities maybe. Yeah. Um but that is a uh, that's a pay me to view fight, not a pay per view. <laughs> I, I seriously don't think I'm sitting through that for less than a hundred bucks. Um, right, <laughs> Chavez Junior versus Silva. As it gets closer, it's just enough of a weird circus freak show that I have a teeny tiny bit of interest, but again, not paying money for it. But if it was free and put in front of me. Eh. Might check it out. Um, the DAZN card. Now those are real fights. Not great yes. fights, but but they are real fights. Um, I think Zermeta is about the best you could expect them to get from Mungia on late notice, and I would think he'll do a little better in this fight than he did against Golovkin. And given how close Gabe Rosado ran Daniel Jacobs, I guess he's a step up for Beck. Um, but Beck has yet to lose a round in his career. He's pretty good. Uh, Rosado, I know he made us look bad for writing him off against Jacobs, but um, I guess I don't learn my lesson. I'm writing off his chances in this one
0: you want to um, provide your Venmo account information
1: in case people do want to send you $100 to, or more to sit through Travis <laughs> that's a, that's a Hey, listen, uh, let I should start taking up some kind of uh, do, just <laughs> pile of donations. If it gets high enough, yeah, sure, I'll watch it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right. Um, it's time for the new segment that Kieran teased at the top of the show, the money punch. Now, what activity combines punching and money? betting on boxing, of course. Uh, in The Money Punch, Karen and I will each give our best bet of the week, our favorite boxing bet out there. Uh, a few disclaimers. First, sports betting is legal and regulated in some states, but not all, in some countries, but not all. So make sure you know what's allowed where you live if you're choosing to actually place boxing bets. Second, we are not a tout surface. We're not guaranteeing winners. We're just giving you our opinions. Uh, and third, We record this podcast on Sundays, usually, and unfortunately, a lot of odds for Saturday fights don't come out until Thursday or Friday, right before the fight, so we might be a bit limited in the options. Uh, So in some cases, we might target bets we like, in theory, without knowing yet what the actual odds are. Uh, So with that all out of the way, let's get to our best bets for this coming week, Uh, and mine, I'm looking for the round props. On Charlo Montiel. Uh, they won't come out until late in the week. We don't know the numbers yet. Uh, but you heard me pick Charlo by KO3 earlier. If that exact round ends up posting at like plus 500 or better, five to one or better, that's worth a flyer. I'd say have a little fun, bet like 20 bucks and have a shot at winning $100 or more if the exact round comes in. Uh, but I think my preferred bet here is actually to take a group of rounds with Charlo. Different sports books will let you group pairs of rounds or groups of three Mm. rounds, four rounds, or even six rounds. If I can find Charlo by KO in rounds one through six, uh, which would cover both of our picks uh, on that one, um, if I can find that at even money or better, I'm jumping on it. Um, So I'll, I'll be keeping an eye out for those props when they're released. I might not get odds that good though. I'm, that might be a little ambitious to think I could get even money on anywhere in the first half of the fight. Might be that I have to lay 150 to 100 or even more than that. And in mm-hmm. that case, um, might just have to gamble just a bit uh, more than that and go with like rounds one to four. That that might appeal to me if there's a good number on that. So I'm, I'm keeping an eye out for all those numbers because. I do expect charlo to take care of business at home and not waste a whole lot of time uh, how about you uh, wh- where where's your money going your, your theoretical money anyway
0: so I kind of wanted to follow on from you know what you just raised there and and I'm kind of curious as to and we should point out that I'm gonna be sort of fumbling my way through this segment initially (laughs) eric's the expert here on all of this so a lot of this is going to be ask uncle eric where he thinks kieran should be spending his pocket money i have uh, have
1: much more experience losing money making bets
0: (laughs) exactly exactly you have you have still also more experience with actually earning the money in the first place um (laughs) so assuming that i ever earn some money and decide that i then want to go and piss it away in this way (laughs) um I'm kinda of, so you were talking about the availability of say like rounds one to four. I've picked round six. I'd be kind of curious to see what is available on say a rounds five through eight kind of thing and what mm-hmm. kind of odds would be offered there. And I'm guessing plus
1: one fifty ish,
0: something like that for around five to eight kind of prop. Does that sound reasonable to you? Yeah, um... that
1: that's probably about right. I'd be I'll be interested to see like which is considered more likely, one through four or five through eight, or are they both about the same? They might might be like plus one fifty for each or, either one of those yeah
2: yeah
0: those kind of, the thing is though like round kind of odds always make me a little bit nervous in that so many things can happen um to cause a fight to last longer than you expect or or end earlier how many times do we nail it we can sometimes get close but mm-hmm. um and it always feels to me like the odds are often good enough to make you think about it, but when you do think about it, they're rarely actually good enough to (laughs) compel me to put some money down, um, which is a sign, of course, that the bookmakers are doing a good job. But but that might be what I would look at for something like this. Um, I I wanted to throw another one past you um, for one of the non-Showtime fights uh, for the Lopez-Combosis matchup. I have seen already posted about plus 1,700 for a draw. And, you know, sometimes we talk about draws as being just worth a punt um, because the odds are disproportionate and draws do happen. And, And not that I think necessarily that Cambosis has what it takes to get Lopez to the scorecards and make it a draw, but I'm thinking that if technical draws are included in here, it is boxing and anything can happen. And if I was just going to say, you know what, screw it, take my money, and (laughs) there's always a chance, man, that I'm going to get quite a bit of money back, what do you think about something like a plus 1,700 for a draw, generally speaking, and in this
1: particular matchup? So you're right to point out that the the technical draw aspect adds a little value to it, because I I almost think that's a little more realistic option in this fight, that it's more likely that around round, five six seven or something there's a head class and they have to go to the cards and uh, gee it's even three rounds apiece at that point and we get a technical draw that seems a little more realistic to me with this matchup than the chance of it going the full 12 and being close enough uh to to end up with with the judges split on it um 17 to 1 is sort of on the lower end of where you tend to see draws, oh, for for at least for a 12-round fight. The shorter the fight, the lower the... You know, an 8-rounder uh, sure. won't get that high a price on a draw. But a 12-round fight, it's anywhere from about 16 to 1 to 24, 25 to 1. So this is on the lower end. I don't think it's great value, especially for a fight that doesn't feel like it's a dead-even kind of matchup. Those are the ones right. I'm usually looking to bet the draw. If I see... 18 to 1 or 20 to 1 on a fight where i'm really struggling to pick a winner that's where it feels like hey you know five bucks at 20 to 1 to win 100 that's that gives you a fun sweat this one eh, i don't i don't quite think the value is there on this one
0: Mm, okay well we'll see later in the week what else opens up but At the moment,
1: I think, especially given
0: all the different fights that are out there, there's nothing super exciting that I've seen so far.
1: No, it's a bit of a tricky week to have started this segment because all of the early odds that are posted on basically the main events only on these cards are not fights that are real close on paper. I'm hoping in in future weeks when we have a a fight that's closer to even money, there will be some more betting options early in the week
0: right okay well we will keep an eye out for those all right but let's turn now to somebody else who likes to have a wee flutter from mm. now every so often uh he is a regular and a favorite of listeners to the podcast and he really needs no further introduction at this stage so let's just go right ahead and welcome Stephen Breadman
1: edwards bread welcome back
3: to the podcast hey guys how you doing
1: we're yeah, doing all right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we're, we're coming up on a, a big boxing weekend. Uh, Saturday, June 19th, boxing fans have no shortage of options. A uh, lot of top fighters in action. And we, of course, want to get your opinions on the Showtime triple header from Houston. Uh, Jamal Charlo is headlining as a huge favorite in his hometown against Juan Macias Montiel. On paper, it shouldn't be a tough fight for Jamal. Um, but there can be extra pressures and distractions when you're at home and it can be hard to get up for a fight. Everyone is telling you you're going to win easily. So from your perspective, any concerns about Charlo getting tripped up and, and, and how tough is a trainer's job when there's potential for a letdown like that?
3: Um, I've been through that before, you know, it kind of all depends on the fighter. Some fighters kind of can put themselves in the mental state where they just don't allow themselves to, um, overlook an opponent and come in the ring, you know, um, with like sort of a dismissive attitude. Uh and and it's not really like the physical training, it's the perception that they have of the opponent Mm -hmm. and it doesn't allow you to be as sharp as you need to be. Um I've been watching Jamal for a while though and to be honest, I've never seen him have that kind of night where you look at him and be like, What the hell happened to him in this fight? He had he's been pretty consistent with his approach and the way he fights. And you know you know, even with guys that are outmatched, you know, he's kind of still, you know, pretty much the same guy. So um, I really don't think that um, that he's going to have that issue. I mean, it's the first time for everything. But from, from watching him throughout his career, he hasn't had that kind of like really, really bad night against an overmatched mm-hmm. opponent. So mm-hmm. I, I think he'll be fine.
1: Yeah, you're you're right. About the closest I can think of to a letdown is just him having a close, tough fight with Matt Korobov. And and that's far from a letdown. That was just a bit of a close fight. You're right. I can't really think of a time that Jamal just didn't quite yeah, look like he, himself. Yeah, he, he he hasn't
3: had one, you know, and, you know, that that, that matters. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know, kind of ever even when you don't fight often, if you had those kind of nights two or three times, it kind of gets stuck with you. Mm-hmm. But if you look at his career, he's pretty – He's pretty much been even across the board. I don't think Karabarov was an off night. I just think that was, you know, he was a last-minute replacement. Right. Uh, and he can fight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's a really, really good fighter. And, he, um, you know, he's a, he had an outstanding amateur career. And he just did some things that um, Jamal really, um, you know, really wasn't um, used to. And uh, he just gave him trouble. Uh, having trouble with a guy and having off nights is a little different.
2: Right. right.
0: Um, the co-feature is Isaac Cruz against Francisco Vargas, and I'm sure you remember well, as, as we do, Vargas' run as, as one of the most exciting fighters around a few years back. But how much do you think mm-hmm. he has left, and, and how far do you think that Cruz can go uh, as the short, straight-ahead pressure fighter that he is?
3: Um, I don't know. I've seen Cruz fight a couple of times, and he's been a little bit hot and cold.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
3: like I've seen him fight, and I'm like, "Whoa, he's good." Then I seen him fight again, and I'm like, "You know, he 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 doesn't give me the appearance of that what he gave me before." Yeah. So, um, I kind of got to reserve my opinion. I want to see some more uh, on Cruz. That's the that's the real real short guy. I think he knocked out um, Magdaleno if I'm not mistaken.
2: That's right. Yeah, that's right.
3: Yes, yes. He looked awesome in that fight, and in his next fight, he just looked. You know, he was just okay. Yeah. So um, I got to see you know fighters are you know sometimes they could just be having a uh, a bad night or you know like a tough training camp so i got to kind of see Oh, uh, vargas you know he's unfortunately had some really really tough fights so you don't know how much he has in the tank so right now i'm probably with favor Cruz. but um you know i would like to see the fight yeah. I think uh, I think Cruz will probably stop him late. So Vargas, uh, if I remember correctly, he's, he's been having some issues with his skin busting up pretty bad. Exactly.
1: Yep, Yeah. Yep. That's yep. that's plagued him uh, throughout parts of his career. Yeah. Yep. Um, so the the opening bout is, is one that I really like. It's uh, Angelo Leo versus Aaron Alameda. They're both guys stepping up here and taking a tough fight, coming right off their first losses. Um, Layo of course, lost to Stephen Fulton, and Alameda lost to Luis Neary, both over the 12-round distance. Were either of those losses troubling to you in any way, or, or are they good learning experiences, and you could see either of these fighters still having a bright future?
3: Yes, both of them, especially okay. Layo. He we performed well. Uh, oh, yeah. I know Stephen, F- Stephen Fulton. Stephen Fulton's fight. There's no shame in their loss at all. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just, sometimes the ball doesn't bounce your way. But, uh, Leo performed really well versus Fulton. Fulton just was a little bit better than that and turned into career best performance. But, um, you know, I think Leo, I think Leo can be a champion in the gun. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, so of these two guys, Leo strikes you as the one with the higher upside and probably the, the mm-hmm. small favorite in this fight against Alameda.
3: Yes, sir. See, I know Stephen Fulton and Stephen Fulton can really fight. Yeah. And, that was not an easy fight for him,
2: mm.
3: you know. Um, even though he won, you know that was a tough fight. You know, Leo performed really, really well in that fight. He didn't give up his title easily. So um, I'm impressed. I'm impressed with uh, Leo. Yeah,
0: and guys like Leo who came up who come at you and just want to hit you constantly to the body, they're you're not going to have an easy night against him win or lose, are
3: you? It's uh, it's more to it than that, though, guys. You know, he's um. He's good. Uh, he has good head movement. Um, he has great stamina. He has heart. He knows how to close the distance. He's very determined. Um, he can fight. You mm-hmm. know, uh, he's improved a lot. I watched him earlier in his career, and I was just like lukewarm on him. And then when I saw him after that, I'm like, "Whoa, this guy is good. He can fight. I'm very impressed with him."
0: Okay. Um, looking ahead, one more week. Javante Davis jumps up from 130. 130- 140 to face Mario Barrios. Um, given that he's short, even for Junior Lightweight, do you think Gervonta is going to be able to excel at Junior Welter? And, and any particular thoughts on this Barrios matchup for him stylistically?
3: I think that's a great fight. Yeah, I honestly do. I think it's a great fight. Not a good fight. I think it's a great fight. Um, I'm really curious to see how they both match up against each other. I think that uh, Avis is... Um, he's probably gonna be the favorite in the fight he's a little bit more naturally talented, but he is short and uh, but but he's been short his whole career, mm. and sometimes when the guy is short, right he's so used to being a shorter guy that he knows how to sort of um overcome that and and sort of like you know contort his body in different ways where he can um overcome some of the things that he has to as far as being a shorter guy in the ring. So I don't really think, you know, it's as big a deal as people like make it out to be like, Oh my God, he's giving up. I think in this he's given up about seven inches, but you know, he's been one his whole career. So it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not that big of a deal and walks around really, really big, you know, so now he gets to not burn calories and not cut into his muscle And, you know, I mean, he looks to be a guy that was getting up to 170-something pounds, making 130. So now he'll be sharper and more relaxed, and, you know, his body won't be so stressed out. So um, even though I think that Burials has some advantages, you still got to look at it. All of these guys are fighting really, really they're coming down really too far than what any doctor would recommend. Right. You come down and take a punch,
2: right.
3: <laughs> you know. Like nobody can say that, but you don't ever recommend the athlete lose thirty five pounds and take a punch to the head. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's counterproductive in any, you know, any phys. Uh, Professional in sports science will tell you that that's not, you know, what boxers are doing are counterproductive. In football, you gain weight and you put muscle mass on to take punishment to your body. Boxing is the only sport where you lose weight to do it. So, um, from that aspect, I do think that the weight, you know, will be a factor. And this is the first time that uh, Davis is fighting the guy, you know, puncher. You know, Gamboa can punch, but he's a little bit older. So I think that Mario can punch, and he's a young guy in his prime like Davis. So I do think that that will be a factor. I think it's going to be a great fight, though. Mario's tall, but he doesn't have the longest arms in the world. And height and length are a little different. If you look at him, he doesn't have, like, a a, a huge reach. Uh, I think it's, like, 71 inches, which is about 5'11". But Mario's really about 6'1". I've been around him.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: So, um, you know, that's a... uh, You know, that'll be interesting. But Davis understands how to fight tall guys. A lot of time, guys reach down and hit him in the body or hit him in certain places, and he knows how to shoot shots over the top. So this is a great fight. You know, I'm more excited for this fight than a lot of people. A lot of people think that Davis is going to um, smoke him, but I think this is a very competitive fight. And if Mario does not get caught with something big early, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, upset Davis. I think he has to... uh, Be really careful, though, early with reaching down below and he was bringing something over the top and clipping Mm them. I think that's his big dilemma in this fight.
1: Yeah, it's interesting uh, just with the height difference and you sort of think of that – the, it plays to the taller guy's advantage. He can keep him on the outside and all that. But I, I'm remembering Lennox Lewis used to talk about how he kind of he sometimes hated fighting much shorter guys because you, you couldn't it wasn't hard to get their chin. You were hitting the top of their head. It's just a different angle that you're going to. So uh, even the ta- a tall guy like Barrios, there are certain stylistic things that fighting a shorter guy like Gervonta uh, pre- present challenges to him that he's not used to.
3: You know what? I'm going to tell you guys. I probably shouldn't be saying this out loud, but I'll say it anyway. (laughs) Neither one of them are my fighters. Guys worry about fighting tall, but the thing you should worry about is fighting long. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Being longer and being taller is different. Guys stand up high when they're tall, right? And if you don't have the proper movement or you don't have the proper reaction time, then what you are is a big target for a sharpshooter like Devontae Davis. But if you get down in your legs and you spread your legs a little bit and your arms are long and you extend your arms, you would rather be long than you would be tall. So you have fighters like Eric Sandy Law who aren't tall, but he have the reach of a person that's like 6'3". I think his reach is like 75 inches, so he's right. long. He can touch you from farther away. So you would rather be longer than taller. So
2: right.
3: Mario has to understand that he can't be standing straight up in the air cuz he'll be a big target. And that kid will hit him in his chin and the fight will be over with. He has to get down in his legs and make himself long so Tank will have to reach for punches and fall off balance. That makes sense to you guys?
2: Yeah, people 100%. repeat this
3: all the time like um you got to fight tall, you got to fight tall. You have to fight long. You're not touching something above your head. You're touching something in front of you. So, how far you are away from it matters much more than how tall you stand over top of it. It's not a basketball game, it's a boxing match. So, you're hitting somebody in front of you. So, how tall you stand doesn't matter. You become a bigger target. You give the person a bigger shooting target if they're shooting at you. What you want to do is to be long. Mario has to understand the difference in height and length. I would rather be 5'10. With a freaking 76 inch reach, than you'd be six <laughs> one with the 72, 71 inch reach. You understand what I'm saying? Because yeah. you're longer. So long is only about five eight or five nine, but he has a 75 inch reach, which is the reach of a person that's 6'3. three. So people are wondering why he has the ability to outbox guys, and he appears to be short, but they're not counting his length. Floyd Mayweather has been deceiving people for years about his length. Floyd Mayweather has freakish, long arms. So he's only 5'8", but his reach is 72 inches. So he has the same reach as some junior middleweights, and he he had that reach as a 130-pounder. So his arm length is a lot longer than what people ever realized. So that's why he was such an exceptional fighter from the outside. Not the only reason, because obviously he has the skills and the reflexes, but people looked at Floyd as being a short fighter, but his height didn't matter. It was his length so in this case, Mario doesn't have freakishly long arms for his height, but he does have the length factor. He has to make sure he fights long and not tall. He doesn't want to be a big target for Tank. He doesn't, Tank, Tank will hit him with an overhand left and knock him out cold if Mario you know, does not recognize the difference between fighting long and tall. And if he does, Tank has a fight on his hands. This is not going to be an easy fight if Mario can get a groove, not get clipped with nothing early and make Tink respect them. This is going to be a tough fight.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. It's going to be really fascinating to see that one play out. Um, One of the biggest fights of the summer comes in August when Errol Spence meets 42 year old Manny Pacquiao. Kieran and I were both a bit surprised by this in the sense that other than money, uh, we're, we're not quite sure what's in it for Pacquiao. He's never shied away from a challenge, certainly, but in your view, is this more brave or foolish? Uh, do, do you give Manny a, a better chance of pulling the upset than, than the two of us do?
3: That's a good question. Um, uh, I, I, I judge fights on this. Like I say, if it fights 50 50, 60 40, I think this fight's about 65 35 in Earl Spencer's favor.
2: Mm,
3: okay. I, believe that, um, I believe that he's a little bit too young, a little too long. I believe that his his ability to uh, use his jab and keep Manny Pacquiao at length will be the difference in the fight. But I don't believe that Manny is, like, completely over his head. Okay. You know, I don't believe that, like, Earl is, like, like, so far ahead of him as far as where they are where Manny has absolutely no shot to win this fight. I don't believe that either. I believe that Manny has his shot, but I don't believe he will win. But I, Earl is going up against something, and I've seen this happen before, where the fighter that has, like, the nostalgic energy with them, where the crowd's going to be on their side, mm-hmm. and, you know, and the fighter that, like, you know, like, sometimes you get more favor from the judges if you're the guy who is sort of doing better and you're not actually winning, but you're just doing well enough to not get blown out and keep things respectable. I think that, um, that, that guy, you know, uh, he, he gets a lot of favor from the judges in that particular, uh, you know, I've seen that before. I saw Ray Leonard beat Marvin Hagler, but the whole crowd Mm. was on Ray Leonard's side. You Mm. know, I thought Manny Pacquiao beat, um, uh, what's my man's name? Keith Thurman. But everything that Pacquiao did, you know, the crowd went crazy for him. They loved him. Yeah. Where, where they, they weren't in favor with, um, with, 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 Thurman. With, Pac- with Thurman the way they were with Pacquiao. And another fight that stands out to me, um, Earl Spence, he beat Mikey Garcia, in my opinion, pretty easily. But He got criticism for not knocking Mikey Garcia out Because that was just the expectations of why aren't Mm -hmm. you knocking this guy out? You understand what I'm saying? Roberto Duran, right? Like history has it like that fight was so close with Hagler. And the judges only had Hagler winning by maybe two or three points. But if you watch that fight, Hagler won that fight around ten rounds to five. But because Duran was an ex-lightweight and he was a legend, he got the benefit of the doubt in every single round that was close throughout that fight. So I'm just saying this, like Earl has to put Manny Pacquiao in his place. This can't be a thing, the fight being competitive and the rounds are really, really hard to score and things like that because with Manny Pacquiao, with his charisma and the way he can get a crowd behind him and his fighting spirit, you know, everybody's going to be pissed off. He's going to get the benefit of the doubt in the closer rounds because the perception of this fight is Manny Pacquiao is 42 years old. He's very short compared to Earl. He's very small. He has seven losses. He's been knocked out before. Earl Spence should dominate him. And if Earl Spence doesn't, I could see, Mm -hmm. you know, Manny Pacquiao getting the benefit of the doubt on certain things. I've seen this before in a lot of different fights. And perception is really, really, the the preconceived notion of how a fight should go is really, really tough to overcome for certain fighters. And Mm -hmm. I would not be surprised if we looked up and everybody's pissed off come, <laughs> you know, come come that Monday morning and Manny Pacquiao sneaks out a decision because Earl Spence didn't dominate him, everybody thought he should dominate him. You know, so, you know, um, Earl has to just be careful in this fight. This can't this cannot be a 50-50 fight with a bunch of swing rounds and it's really, really close because Manny's going to get the benefit of the doubt. Judges are human beings. They're not robots, you know, they, they, they're human beings and they score a fight, you know, they may score a fight a little bit differently than the way we think that they should score them. And there's been some bad decisions, don't get me wrong, but a lot of times when you're sitting there in that crowd and everybody's going crazy over every single punch, that's hard to overcome.
2: Yeah.
3: You know, and the big, this fight reminds me of Duran and Hagler. I'm telling you, you guys get a chance to watch that fight. I love Roberto Duran, he's one of my favorite fighters ever. But Hagler should not have had to win rounds mm. thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen to win the fight. Mm. He shouldn't have to win it. I'm telling you, he shouldn't have had to go through all that to win the fight. So Earl has to be, unfortunately, he has to be a little bit more dominant, in my opinion, than 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 what's fair because of how this fight is perceived.
0: Gotcha. Um, so you've. Mentioned Duran and Hagler and Leonard. So let's finish with that. Um, we know that you've watched The Kings, the four-part series on Showtime, because we saw you tweeting about Duran's, um, how should we put this, uh, innovative <laughs> training for his fight with <laughs> Um And those who haven't seen that, that's still one week away. Um, we'd love to get your thoughts, basically, first of all, just generally on the series and what you thought of it.
3: Uh, well, I live through it. So, you know, it's like... When you live through those times, you know, it's kind of like, it's just awesome to kind of like relive and, you know, see everything that happened and, you know, the perspective of the producers. I thought it was great. I uh, binge watched it. I watched them (laughs) one through four. Um, You know, Leonard's my favorite fighter. Uh, Duran is a guy who I bought his whole lightweight reign on DVD. And obviously, you know, um, Ernst and and Hagler are monsters. They're great fighters. So um, those are guys that I've been watching and, uh, you know, just reading about for years. I watched their careers as they they went, you know, so it's not a thing where somebody's, like, telling me about them and I got to watch them on YouTube. I actually watched them. I thought it was good, you know. The political stuff, you know, I could have did without it, but I understand why they put it in there because that was the sign of the times and the economics of the country. And all of those things matter when, when you're talking about those fights because um, like, for example, Hearns, you know, I know people out of Detroit and, you know, Detroit was a, you know, was a major urban hub in the 80s with drugs and, you know, it was a really, really popular city. You know, now Atlanta is really popular. And then Detroit was really popular. And the fact that, um, that you know, people were really betting their houses on Hearns, mm-hmm. you know, that just, just imagine that, you know, just imagine you bet your house on a fighter and he loses,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: you know what I mean? So yeah. I think that it was great to get that perspective of people that were involved in this, you know, that was just, that was just awesome, you know, and um, it was just awesome. I thought it, I thought they did a great job. And uh, I've really, 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 really enjoyed it, especially being from that era. And knowing those guys and seeing those guys come up, it was just, it was just awesome. And I could remember each one of those fights, how it was portrayed and to see the backdrop, it was, it was great to see.
2: Yeah.
0: We've talked a lot about how they did some amazing job of finding some great video that neither of us had seen before, like interviews and backroom (laughs) stuff and all of that kind of stuff that I figured even for someone who knows it pretty well, you know, there's new stuff in there, right?
3: Yeah. 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 It was just like some of the interaction between, um. I like the interaction between, uh, Emmanuel Stewart and, um, Angelo Dundee. Yep. yep. You, know, yep. you know, you know, You know. store, his guy was kind of chasing the fight and, uh, you know, Dundee had the, the, the main star and Ray Leonard, you know, so I loved that interaction. It it was just awesome. Yep. It was, it was great to see. And, uh, you, you just can't, you can't beat that with what, what they did. And, um, you know, for the '80s boxing and things like that, you just can't beat what with, with those guys did, man. And it was just, yes. uh, it was just, it was just great to watch, I mean, It brought back a lot of good times for me as a young guy watching fights and you know, different things like that. It was really, really good to see. Right. Hope a lot of these new wave boxing fans get a chance to to check it out, man. Because some of these guys think boxing started when they started watching <laughs> boxing in mean, is yep. crazy.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs>
3: You know, so hopefully they get a chance to look at it and understand that boxing was around way before 2012 when they started watching fights.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm trying to convince my my wife and kids who are not boxing fans. I'm trying to convince them to watch the documentary series because I think that they'll really enjoy it, regardless of whether they're into the boxing aspect, going in and know all the fighters and all that stuff. And so I'm I'm going to tell him it has the bread man seal of approval. Maybe that'll push him over the edge and convince him to oh, watch it. Oh, man,
3: that was, <laughs> that was awesome. When Duran said that, I literally, like, spit my, my water out when I was watching. I couldn't believe he said that <laughs> when he was training for her. Saying, yep,
2: I'm yep. like, this guy is an animal.
3: <laughs> <laughs> he, he had himself Look, a good he, time. Yeah, he got his head knocked off for him. But I guess it was worth it to him, man. <laughs> Duran's crazy, man.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah hey, Brad, thanks as always for joining us. It's always great to have you on, and your analysis was great. Really, really appreciated it.
3: Appreciate that, guys. Thank you for having
0: me. All right. Uh, Thanks to Brett, as always, for joining us. Uh, Let's get to our newsy sort of segment. Uh, We are combining outside-the-ring news and fight reviews into one segment this week, in part because there aren't that many fights to review, because as we found out, they're all happening this coming Saturday. Um, And also in part because the main event of the news week is a fight that didn't take place in a ring. It took place in a cage. Boxing's quote, Teresa shields made her mma debut thursday night in atlantic city against britney elkin who came in with a record of three and six and we saw shields do something we're not used to seeing her do come very close to losing uh she came much closer to losing this fight than any boxing match as she spent most of the first two rounds trying to survive frankly and to escape with her back on the canvas but she toughed it out and rallied to win by stoppage in the third and final round. And you could tell how much it meant to her. She exulted in victory far more than I've seen her do in any, <laughs> yeah. uh, after any out. Um uh She was able to get on top of Elkin and, and pound her with short punches to the head uh, in that third round until the referee stepped in and stopped the bow. Eric, what do you think of that fight? And do you think we'll see more of Clarissa in the cage?
1: So I'm going to reveal just how little MMA I've actually watched when I say this, but this was about as entertained as I've ever been watching MMA. Um, I was feeling some real anxiety watching Claressa get Mm. pinned down at various points in this fight, wondering if she could ever get back to her feet. Uh, And when she rallied and got the stoppage in the third, it was seriously thrilling. Um, I still don't enjoy the sight of those ground and pound punches. It Mm. it is a form Mm. of brutality that I don't find aesthetically pleasing the way I do well-delivered boxing punches. But this was a really entertaining, engaging, athletic competition. And and how could you not be impressed with the heart of Claressa, the determination, yeah. the poise, the calm? And she's simply a staggeringly impressive athlete to come to a new sport yes. like this and adapt yeah. well enough to be not a great fighter, but an experienced fighter. Um, she's a really gifted athlete has the raw strength to make up for some of the holes in her grappling game. And she was obviously in tremendous condition. Uh, I remember doing some wrestling in middle school and high school, and just like one minute of fighting for your life when you're down on the canvas mm. uh, exhaust you. And she managed to stay there and get through it and, and never run out of gas. Um, I'm sure some hardcore MMA fans who are listening are telling me to shut the hell up right now. I probably sound like <laughs> some non-boxing fan talking about how great Jake Paul is. Um, but uh, to me, this was edge of your seat stuff. Um, yeah. The question of will we see more of Claressa in the cage, I would have to imagine so, because I'm not sure there's enough money available to her in boxing to keep her exclusive yeah. to our sport. I would assume, however... That as she keeps fighting in the cage and keeps taking on gradually tougher competition, she'll suffer a loss soon. Uh, maybe a brutal one where she gets like an arm broken or something. And I don't want to see that. This was a tremendous triumph for her. I think it would be a pretty cool story if she was one and done. If she came and proved yeah. a little something, got herself a 1-0 record, and then went back to the sport where she's the quote and never fought in MMA again. If I had my, yeah. my pick of how this turns out, that would be my first choice.
0: Yeah, I think with Clarissa, knowing her a little bit, I just think she likes to fight. Yeah. And um, I think she's looking for a challenge. And I don't think she minds being pushed to the limit in MMA because she's not getting pushed to the limit in boxing. Um, and so and I think that's why this meant so much to her. You could tell. Yeah. Um, so I would not be at all surprised uh, if, if we see a fair bit more of it. I completely agree with you in terms of how it might end up. But then also having seen Clarissa's improvement arc in boxing, um, a, a, a sport – that she came into it with obviously a a very high base already and just Mm -hmm. to see how much she's improved in that over the last couple of years. She's clearly very smart uh, uh, as well as being an exceptional athlete. So I don't know. I'm the same as you. I don't know enough to know about whether this was actually a pretty good debut or given the quality of her opponent, it showed that she's just so far off being an elite MMA fighter um, or, or even a very good one. Uh, it, it's it's almost like a sideshow I don't know but I think as much as anything just for her to have the personal satisfaction once or twice a year of being pushed
1: to the limit um I think we'll still see her do it yeah yeah I think you're right um Only one uh, notable boxing match to discuss from this past week, uh, and it was a more notable fight going in than coming out. Uh, Shakur Stevenson Mm -hmm. remained undefeated, moving to 16-0 with eight KOs, with a shutout decision win over Jeremiah Nakatila, scoring a knockdown in round four and winning 120-107 on all cards. This was not an entertaining fight. Uh, So with the win, Kieran does Stevenson perhaps move further away from securing a big fight at 130 pounds than he was coming in? You know, is the risk reward ratio in facing him even worse now after this fight?
0: Yeah, I don't know that that's necessarily going to change much on the back of this, not least because one of the sanctioning bodies is mandating him to now face Jamel Herring. And given that both are top-ranked fighters. Bob Aram clearly wants to make that fight, um, all of which I'm sure is completely coincidental to the rankings in the alphabet bodies that have made this happen. Um, you know, that's what we're going to see next. So we are going to see that big fight next i think for both guys and then we'll see what happens after that i went through a couple of different phases watching this fight at first i was quite impressed with stevenson's caution and maturity as he tried to figure out nakatila i liked his intensity uh, then i started to become disappointed and i kept thinking "Oh, the next round maybe he'll step it up the next round he'll step it up and then he didn't and then by the end i was i was just bored and grumpy um I'm a little reticent. It's one of those fights where I'm a little reticent to get on Stevenson too much, though. Nakatila was just an awkward opponent. You know, he had that lead leg stretch way out far in front of him. He made himself very long to, to drop some of Breadman's knowledge, and he threw very little. But it was clear that if he's going to land anything, it's going to be a right-hand counter. Um, it's easy to forget Stevenson's just 23 and still learning. Right. Sometimes styles make fights. Sometimes styles make ugly fights. It also cannot have helped— to have referee Celestina Ruiz constantly barking at them both mm-hmm. to watch their feet and even stopping the action to tell them to watch their feet what the hell are they supposed to do right. um I mean even before the commentary team started like right from the very talking about it right from the very beginning I was like oh my god what the hell is this guy on about um what are they supposed to do and um are they supposed to just be watching their feet instead? And (laughs) because that's what the referee was doing. He was watching their feet so much. He missed two totally legitimate knockdowns that Stevenson scored. I think they were legitimate knockdowns around two and 12 that might have made the win feel better somehow. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking at a guy's feet and not at his fast punches, you're going to miss the knockdown. I thought, I thought the ref had a terrible night that did not help the fight at all. Honestly, I kind of half expected I was going to go into some kind of seizure and wake up as just some big dolt who could only say, watch feet, watch feet, for years. <laughs> and, it, and it would be a long time before people realized that, that this guy had, like, warged back into my past and, and, and influenced me. Um, uh, yeah, sorry. Terrible,
1: terrible night for, for the referee, I thought there. Um, yeah, I was, I'll, just, I'll just add that threatening to take a point – for stepping oh on feet God, accidentally. Exactly. That that is a new one. Never seen that before. Hope to never see it again. Yeah.
0: Unbelievable. All right. Uh back to Outside the ring news items. Uh, here's what's on our undercard this week. Um, various sources are reporting that Anthony Joshua against Alexander Usyk is almost done for September 25th at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Showtime has indicated that the Floyd Mayweather Logan Paul event sold approximately 1 million pay per views, but has not released an official exact number. Um, speaking of Showtime, not exactly boxing news. But the docu-series Outcry, which we talked about a little, uh, including with Stephen Espinosa on the podcast, was named Outstanding Serialized Sports Documentary at the 42nd Annual Sports Emmy Awards. So congrats to all involved in that. If you didn't see it, um, I, I assume it's on uh, on demand. Check it out. It's a heck of a documentary. Yeah. Um, uh, we've learned that the Tyson Fury Deontay Wilder 3 pay-per-view will have an all-heavyweight undercard, uh, including a couple of quite interesting ones. Uh, F.A. Ajagba against Frank Sanchez and the rematch uh, between Robert Hellenius and Adam Knauchki. Uh We asked metaphorically last, just last week, I think it was what the future was for sky sports and boxing in the United Kingdom. Now that Matchroom had a new deal with his own. The answer is that sky is staying very much in the boxing business and is picking up all the top rank us fights uh, to show on sky. Uh, I think that's a four year contract that those guys have signed. And lastly, Sad news. Uh, Kirkland Lang, the Jamaican-born British fighter, best known for scoring the 1982 upset of the year ever, Roberto Duran, died last week at age 66. He'd reportedly been unwell for a while. His career record was 43-12-1 with 24 KOs. He held both the British welterweight title and the European welterweight title. If you're watching uh, the Kings series um, episodically on Linear, in next week, you will see discussion of Lang's victory over Duran. And in it, you ha- we have Duran's former trainer, Ray Arcel, basically saying, you know, who was this Kirk Lang guy? I could have beaten him. Anybody could have beaten him. And that was actually a little bit unfair. Lang was well mm-hmm. known for being a very gifted boxer who just did not have the application to make the most of it. He would, after the Duran fight, he disappeared. He drank and and boozed and and uh, womanized his, his way through the money that he earned from that. Um you know, that he was renowned for being extremely talented and highly mercurial. And that sort of the dichotomy was explained both in the fact that he was known as the gifted one
1: and had 12 defeats in his career. <laughs> yeah. um, Eric, thoughts on any of these items? So Matt Christie of Boxing News wrote a very good obit on Lang. Um, and yeah, I didn't really know his story much, but uh, he goes into how he was plagued by drug problems and, and then that- mm-hmm was a played a big role in keeping him far short of fulfilling his potential seems it was a surprise to many that he even lived to 66 um, but as you mm-hmm. said he does make it into the king's docuseries in the third episode so that's something um Ajogba sanchez uh, i find that fight very interesting and i favor mm-hmm. sanchez there i i think that's a classic case of the big raw puncher likely getting taken to school, um, following on from from our Money Punch segment earlier. If Sanchez happens to end up listed as the underdog there, I'm definitely betting him. Um, Mm -hmm. Hitting some of the other stuff, a well-earned win for Outcry, uh, and I hope the Kings get some sports Emmy love next year. I think it might. Um, The biggest news of those you just ran down is certainly Joshua Usyk. There seems to be a groundswell of social media hipsters picking Usyk to score the upset and spoil Fury Joshua. And at first I was like, ah, shut up hipsters. And then I thought about it more. They're not crazy to make that pick. Uh, I'm not quite there yet. I'm not picking it myself, but it would be par for the course for this cursed sport that a judge ruling Fury has to face. Wilder manages to prevent us from ever seeing this $150 million fight. Styles make fights. And in the fight between the sport of boxing and Murphy's law, Murphy's law (laughs) is just a brutal matchup for our fair (laughs) sport. That's right. Excellent. Excellent. (laughs) That said,
0: Shut up, boxing hipsters is a very good default setting, and I'm not going to discourage <laughs> you from moving away from that.
1: Perhaps I'll, I'll clip I'll, I'll clip out me saying that and uh, drop that in somewhere as a soundbite <laughs> in the future.
2: Yeah. There you go. There you
1: go. Uh, okay, it is time for the tweet of the week. Uh, I'm picking it, and this isn't so much a brilliant or clever tweet as it is a great conversation starter tweet. Uh, it comes from a former Ring Theory subscriber, so you know he's good people, uh, at Tyler Box 12 uh, often an entertaining Twitter follow. He tweeted on Tuesday, I would pay money to see one of the Paul brothers fight Chocolatito. I'm serious. And you start thinking about that. It is a fascinating thought experiment. At what point does the yep. size difference supersede the boxing skill difference? You know, with a great, very old, retired fighter in Mayweather, giving away 30 to 40 pounds, still able to win fairly comfortably. What about a less great, but still rather great, fighter who's old, but not as old, and he's giving away like 80 pounds? Is that a fight the Paul brother wins? I just love the thought experiment. Uh, What do you think? Does Chocolatito versus a YouTuber intrigue you, or are we pushing the circus fight thing a little too far now?
0: I kind of love it because Chocolatito would come in like he wouldn't do what Mayweather did. He wouldn't, you know, just use it as a glorified sparring session. Um, Chocolatito would come in to kind of take the guy's head off. He might end up having to take the guy's balls off because that's as far as (laughs) he can reach. But either way, that would be fine. I would be perfectly fine with watching that. And it would be an excellent... It would do, I think, what Mayweather Paul didn't and win or lose so great would be the size difference that it would really underline the difference between being a big strong athletic guy and being a real professional boxer um so there you go come in chocolatito <laughs> come save us
1: <laughs> yes but he has to actually win the fight if he gets knocked out by a right. ball brother then it ruins the whole thing right he
0: might actually get to stand on a step stool periodically
1: <laughs> that would be fair or paul uh, paul has to fight on his knees something like that yeah yeah okay
0: yeah. Yeah, something like that. Just, just to, just to even it up, you know. Just, right. just for the hell. I mean, what the hell do these people who are watching, who are going to buy that pay per view, know? Oh, is that fair? Does that happen all the time? Oh yeah, all the time. Yeah, that's standard all practice. Yep. 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 Totally standard. Yep. Yeah. So there you go. All right. Let's finish the show with your next top five assignment, and I am going to return a favor here, Eric. Uh, I'm going to place a ball on a tee and let you have a little swing at it. Um, um, last time around you asked me to make the case for miguel codo hall of famer as codo is not presently in the hall but is surely on the bubble and likely to be voted in at some point codo of course is my favorite fighter at least during the time that i've been covering fights your favorite fighter arturo Gatti, is already in the hall but it is fair to say that those damn boxing hipsters again weren't necessarily entirely happy with that. Um, There might have been a bit of harumphing Does Arturo Gatti belong in the Hall of Fame based purely on the standard of his opposition? Well, here you go. You know, after you ask me to make the case for why Kodo should be in the Hall of Fame, even though he isn't, I'm going to ask you to make the case in defense of Gatti already being in the Hall of Fame. What are the five fights that most make the case for Arturo Gatti hall of famer i actually almost pitched this differently i was going to just say give me gaddy's best fights non mickey ward division Hmm. but if i'm asking you to make the hall case for arturo i don't think i can put that uh in there uh, as a qualification i think i have to let you include them and hope that uh I'm not giving you a top five list
1: in which one to three are the fights against Mickey Ward, (laughs) one, two and three. But you know what? I'm just going to have to take that risk. Yeah, I I don't think that they will be, but I haven't uh, thought it through carefully yet. Uh, I will make one very important clarification. Arturo Gatti is only my second favorite fighter because Mickey Ward is my all time favorite fighter, but close enough. Um, He's certainly my favorite Hall of Fame fighter. Uh, and uh, for this assignment, I say, bless you, my friend. You've done a good deed. Uh, you are going to heaven. Goes around, comes around, sir. <laughs> I, yes, I paid it forward successfully, but uh, uh, yeah, you're you're a good man. This this will be a, a fun one, uh, and I won't have to watch one second of one fight or look up anything <laughs> except Gaddy's track page to make this happen. But I, I like it. It's actually... A fascinating subject because the Hall of Fame case for Gaddy is based on different criteria than most fighters. So, yeah, this will be interesting. And uh, amid final stages of moving hell uh, combined with about 15 hours of boxing to watch next weekend, I am grateful for the mercy you have taken on me here.
0: You know, one of us is just going to, we're doing this, and at some point, possibly soon, one of us is just going to give the other one a top five list from hell to make up for these past
1: (laughs) That's fine. That's fine. As long as it's after I'm all moved into the new house, uh, I'm okay with it.
0: (laughs) There you go. Yeah. While you're unpacking and already in a grumpy mood and can't possibly be in a worse one, I'll just hit you with
2: something awful. (laughs) So there you go all right
0: that will do it for this week's episode of showtime boxing with raskin and mulvaney our thanks again to Stephen breadman edwards for joining us uh if you missed the second episode of our bonus podcast covering the kings that's available now with our guest jackie callen and next week producer david dinkins jr will join us and on this podcast next week we will have eric's Gatti top five list we'll have post-fight analysis from a busy saturday and a preview of the Javante Davis Mario Barrios pay-per-view event. Until then, thank you so much for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.